Hello again, it's Pastor Adam, and uh, I'm glad you're with me today. Going to be giving another word from the Lord, so let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get going. Father, we thank you for today, and we are grateful for the blessings you bestowed upon us in our life to this point. And Father, we, we thank you that you've given us strength and fortitude to go forth with what your word says and give it all we've got, and you finish the rest. Those are the things, Lord, that we are grateful for, that you show us as success. When we had options to do less, we didn't. We thank you, Lord, for these days and for this day. And we ask for your blessing over it. In the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ, amen. So today, um, I titled this Curveball. And uh, I think you'll figure out what the message is. You know, when we are young, I think it's safe to say we all have dreams, aspirations about what we want to become and what we want to do with our life. And like all of us, you know, I had a, I had a few. I had a big one. One of the big ones I had was to be a baseball player. Now, I played different positions in baseball, usually in the infield, but I also was a pitcher. I was blessed with a very strong right arm. And I pitched until I hurt my shoulder. And I decided not to have surgery, but instead chose to let it heal naturally. And I was told the main reason for the hurting shoulder was because of the curveball that I threw. You know, I think we've heard this saying, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. You know, that, in other words, what that really says is God doesn't waste anything and uses all the things to bless the lives of his children, his creation. And one of the most often used but least understood tools that God uses is what I want to characterize as a curve in life, a turbulent moment in our lives. Now, this can be, you know, defined as those unanticipated events that many of us would have no problem choosing to avoid if we had the choice. Many of us don't like disruptive moments because, you know, they are associated with pain, with failure, with humiliation, and Let's just be frank. They're just downright inconvenient. But you know what? Even though all of those things are true, I think the biggest reason we don't like these events is that we have no control over the event. We, we just, we just got to take it. We stand there and take it. Now, a good way to relate to this is to think about when you're driving. And you see you're driving and, and all of a sudden you, gotta, you see a bend in the road, a curve up ahead. You can't see behind. You don't know what's coming after that bend or that curve. You can't tell. You don't know. Or how about about when you fly and you experience turbulence? You know, you you don't control it. All of a sudden, you're you're bouncing and you're like, whoa, can't do anything about it. Just got to go through it. And you know, the older we get and the more experiences in life we have, the things that seem to teach us the best this is this especially I can attest to this, but I'm sure so many of us can. Those things that seem to teach us the best are those discomforting or suffering or afflicting life experiences. If you really slow down, you pause a little bit and think about this. Ponder, ponder a little bit about what was just said. And I bet you you come to the same conclusion you'll likely come to the conclusion that it's not success 
It's not happiness that teaches us best, but only, the only thing that really teaches us in life is discomfort, suffering, affliction. Think back when you were a child. Your parents would teach you things and tell you things after you did something wrong, and then you learned, well, I'm not going to do that again. And sometimes we were so stubborn, we did it anyway. And then we, as we got older, we go, yeah, I'm doing it, and it's wrong. But it taught you. There's not a one of us who haven't gone through turbulent moments. Not a one. I mean, when you think about those that come through the doors of a church, every single one of them, Every single family has gone through disruptive moments. Now, I want to give us some scriptures here. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, and I read from the Amplified Version. Scripture says, Because of the surpassing greatness and extraordinary nature of the revelations which I receive from God, for this reason, to keep me from thinking of myself as important, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to torment and harass me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. But he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My loving kindness and my mercy are more than enough, always available, regardless of the situation. For my power is being perfected and is completed and show itself most effectively in your weakness. Therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may completely enfold me and may dwell in me. So I am well pleased with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, and with difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak in human strength, then I am strong, truly able, truly powerful, truly drawing from God's strength. Amen. You know, I hope and pray that the light bulb goes off when we read that. I hope we can realize that there's a purpose for these disruptive, unexpected moments. And, and, a, and a takeaway, I guess, or a, a point to remember as we're going through this today is there is a purpose for our pain. And, and please, please understand, I am not saying to embrace pain or that we should ask for pain. And, and please note that in the verses just prior to this, right, the word of God tells us that Paul had an incredible experience with God and had a hard time even putting himself in the context of that experience. He doesn't even want to say it was himself. So he says it this way, there was a man I knew. I'm talking about the time when it's right before that scripture I just read. It says, Paul is not sure if he was in the body or out of the body, but what he does know is that he was lifted up to see the glories of heaven, and he heard things that he can't share with anyone here on earth. Now, just think about this. If, if the Apostle Paul was coming to be the guest speaker somewhere in your hometown, don't you know that if that was the case, that would be the headline every place Paul would be speaking. Hey, come see the guy that went to heaven and came back. Limited engagement, so don't miss this opportunity. Seats are going fast. <laughs> right? Well, however... God took a different view of that, a different perspective 
than what man does. See, what, what we tend to do, what men tend to do, what humans tend to do is exalt or puff up themselves. And this revelation that was given to Paul could be his downfall. So we read, so he basically, it's like, so, so I wouldn't get a big head. God sent through a messenger that he allowed Satan, the Satan, to deliver a problem into my life. God did this so that Paul would not be ex- exalted above measure. Yeah, and we also read about the pain associated with this, and it's described as a thorn in the flesh. So let's be really clear about this here, folks. Apparently, it's God's will to sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes allow pain in our lives and suffering in our lives, and it's not done because God wants us uncomfortable just to be uncomfortable. But it's for a a lesson, that we need to pay attention to because we all face a bend in the road, a time of turbulence in life, these curves, these curveballs in our lives. Oh, and, and by the way, don't miss what else God does in these moments, <laughs> right? We just read it three times. Paul asked God to take this away and three time, times God tells Paul, I'm not gonna do that for you. But what God will do is something even better than removing the pain. Now, wait, oh my gosh, what? What are you saying, Adam? Folks, I'm saying that God will give us enough grace and perfect strength so that we will move right through this turbulence to do what God's will is. Because that's what we're supposed to be doing, God's will, not our will. Our will, most of the time, if we're honest, involves avoiding pain and discomfort. That's what we'll claim is our will. But it might not be God's will. In other words, folks, in the midst of pain, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the disruptive moment, in the midst of this turmoil, the Lord comes and walks right with us so we won't lose our way. <laughs> and what, well, in this case with Paul, what did, what, did it, what did this event produce? Well, Scripture tells us that the power of Christ will rest on me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul came to the realization that this disruptive moment is an opportunity that God has taken to build something, something up in Paul that could not be built up in Paul without this suffering and pain. Oh, did you hear that? Folks, it's as if God is telling us that our weakness will serve as the very vehicle to magnify the glory of God's power and to reside within the will of God, which is again, That's where we want to be. Oh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, Lord, help us. Now, that we just read that in Paul, you know, in 2 Corinthians, that's not the first time we've heard about this regarding God. How about this scripture in Job chapter 5, verse 17? Blessed is the man whom God corrects, so does so. Do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. How about Psalm 94, verse 12? Blessed is the one you discipline, Lord, the one you teach from your law. How about Revelation 3, verse 19? Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. (laughs) Wow, There's, there's many more. That was just a few. So these bumps in the road or these disruptive moments are like messengers sent from God to help us see accurately, to process accurately, to be in the will of God. 
In our weakness, we become a receptacle for the power of God in a way we have never known it, known it before. And I'm, I'm guessing, I'm speculating here, but my guess, my speculation is that the Apostle Paul is probably like a lot of us. I mean, in the sense that many of us say, especially when we're young, we say that, yay, I can do that. I'm indestructible. You ever thought like that? I, sh- I know I did. Been kind of proud. You know, some would say you're, you know, boasting. Not, maybe, you could say it's confidence, but a lot of times it's cockiness when you're young, right? Just, I think we all can admit that. I know I did. I still have to deal with that. And I remember I did, as a young baseball player, pitching and specifically throwing the curveball. I was told time and time again, I mean, I grew up in Wisconsin. So we'd be, it'd be cold outside and your body would be, it was cold and you, you had to warm up a lot. And I was told so often by so many coaches and even some of my friends, like warm up, warm up, right? Don't throw the curveball until you warm up your arm. And that takes a while sometime and I wasn't patient enough for it. And you're not supposed to do that. Not supposed to even really throw hard until your arm's warmed up let alone throw a curveball that puts such stress on your arm. But you know, like most of us, I, I wanted to show off and show off because I had a pretty good curveball and it bend a lot and it dropped a lot. And I thought, you know, hey, it ain't, I'm indestructible. Nothing's going to happen to me. You know, I know more than the coach does, right? I know more than my parents do, right? I know more than that teacher does, right? Or that person in authority, right? Well, in my case, it cost me the use of my right arm at the age of 19 because of my pride and vanity. And I hadn't endured anything close to what Paul had while he was writing 2 Corinthians there in that that scripture we read. And see, this disruptive moment produced more power in Paul's life. And so Paul's perspective now, right, is now to boast in his affirmities so we can have the power of Christ to rest on him. In other words, this event made Paul put on a new lens, I guess, a way you could say it. Paul grasped a different worldview. He looked at things eternally instead of temporarily. I think, I think Paul is reflecting back on what he was like before this happened and what he is like now after this has happened. So he, he kind of summarizes that if, that if I could go back to the way I was like before this happened, you could not pay me enough to be that way because what God has made out of me now after going through this disruptive moment is so incredible, I boast in it and I even thank God for it. Now, I know, listen, I know that this is very hard to do when you're in the midst of the suffering. And if you're in this right now, oh gosh, I'm not trying to poke you, I'm not trying to twist your pain, push hard on your pain. I'm just suggesting that go through this. Once you get through it, it'll be easier to look back on it and, and say some things about it that you probably couldn't say right now as you're going through it. And there'll be things like, well, this has actually benefited me. And I think we should just take great hope in Paul's testimony here. Paul's look looks at the picture of Christ's power and he rejoices. Now look at what we find in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, 
verses 5 through 11, and I read again from the Amplified Version, Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, here we go. And you have forgotten the divine word of encouragement, which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not make light of the discipline of the Lord and do not lose heart and give up when you are corrected by him. For the Lord disciplines and corrects those whom he loves and he punishes every son whom he receives and welcomes to his heart. You must submit to correction for the purpose of discipline. God is dealing with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now, if you are exempt from correction and without discipline, in which all of God's children share, then you are illegitimate children and not sons at all. Moreover, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we submitted and respected them for training us. Shall we not much more willingly submit to the Father of spirits and live by learning from his discipline? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for only a short time as seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. For the time being, no discipline brings joy, but seems sad and painful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, right standing with God in a lifestyle and attitude that seeks conformity to God's will and purpose. Amen. There it ends with that. Why is this all happening? To get aligned with God's will and purpose. I mean, this, what I just read in Hebrews sounds very similar to what was read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that we began with today. There's a purpose to what God is doing. God allows chastising, right? Chastening and training in our lives so we might be corrected just like an earthly father, an earthly mother, an earthly coach, an earthly shepherd, an earthly pastor does to their children, their players, their congregations. And God does that in that he might prove to us that we are his children. The Bible tells us that all of the children in the father's family are disciplined. And if you don't have any discipline in your life, then you better check your relationship with the father. What, I mean, in other, in other words, there is no way you can be a part of the father's family and not once in a while feel the pain of his rebuking and chastising. Unfortunately, sadly, some of us think that the goal in, in, this, in this life is to go from the cradle to the grade without ever having any pain, rebuking, correcting, or disciplining. Sadly. Some Christians actually believe that. That's why they say they come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior so they don't have any more issues and more troubles. It's actually the opposite. You're actually going to probably have more. <laughs> oh, I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing. Oh, geez, Lord. I mean, sadly, too many pastors don't teach people the truth. See, the word of God, here again, it does it so often, is once again telling us that you should expect pain. There is no desire by God to disguise what he's doing. The word of God is brutally honest about the reality of growing up in, in his family. Sometimes in this transformation from infant to Christian to elementary Christians to teenage Christians to adult Christians, we feel the sting of the slap on our bottoms. And it doesn't feel good. And it's like we're not really desiring it. But God has a purpose in that. And when you feel it, you have the choice to stand up straight and say, I am a son and a daughter of God and I am in the family. 
This is proof that God loves me because he's correcting me. And when you're under the chastising of the father, he treats us as a father treats a son. The Bible says in our earthly days, our parents do it for, the, for their good. But when God does this, God does it for our good because God loves us. And in the midst of the disruptive moment, when we can't see beyond the curve in the road, God is right there with us taking us along the pathway. This theme is again spoken of by Jesus in this parable of the vineyard. It's here in John chapter 15, verse 2. I read from the Aramaic version of the Bible. Jesus is speaking here and he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, I cut off. And the one which bears fruit, I prune so that it may bring forth more fruit. (laughs) So God, the Father, is the gardener. And as he walks amongst his garden, he snips off the unproductive branches, branches that aren't bearing fruit. And he prunes the fruit-bearing branches so that more fruit will come from them. So he snips fruit-bearing branches too. (laughs) He snips both. Ouch. I mean, here's a truth about this that cannot be denied. The gardener is never nearer the branches than when he's pruning them. Hello? Just think about that. I mean, I, we say this, I want you, Jesus. I want to see you, Jesus. But you know what happens? We're actually upset when he's closest because he, he'll, many times he's pruning us. Wow. Do you, do you see the wrong thinking that we've had? What we've embraced about so much of the Christianity? Do you see the other depths of our rebellion against the loving Father? In these two sets of scripture, 2 Corinthians 12, right? This disruptive moment produces more power And in Hebrews 12, this disruptive moment produces more righteousness and holiness. (sighs) Wow. I mean, you can't go from here to there without going through the disruptive moment. And you also will reap more power, more righteousness, and more holiness. Oh my gosh. Now, can you see that transformation that occurs because of this disruptive moment? (laughs) You know, again, my favorite scripture Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Oh, gosh, I know this is such a challenge for us because, you know, we'll say things like this when things are going on that we don't like. We'll say, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening now? God, I am not happy with you right now at all. I would suggest that you grab a new perspective. And don't grab the perspective that say, be discouraged and give up and say, that's it, this is all over. So so what are we supposed to do then, you're probably asking. Well, how about what the Bible tells us in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 12, right? When we go through a disruptive moment, it will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And, And listen to this key element here. To those who have been trained by it. This, this is the key. Folks, see, the, I'll tell you what the key is not. The key is not why is this happening to me or what am I going to do? But rather, the key is, Lord, what are you do- trying to teach me in this disruptive moment? And I am here. We got to be receptive. We got to be like, say, I'm here as a student ready to learn because I don't want to waste this opportunity you're trying to teach me. 
because I've gone around this mountain too many times and not learned a lesson. Lord, help me to see what it is you're trying to teach me. Because I want to come through this on the other side, having learned everything I can learn. So I don't go around this mountain again. That's the key point, folks. Sadly, I think too many of us fail to understand what was said in 2 Corinthians 12. Scripture tells us that the Satan was a messenger that was sent by God to buffet Paul. So many will come to the delusion, ah, so Satan did this then. Well, yeah, sure, he did. But he couldn't do it unless God allowed him to do it. Just like with Job. Read the beginning of Job. God's having a council meeting and who shows up? The Satan. And God goes, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be down on earth. He goes, yeah, I am. All these people are terrible. But that, and he goes, well, you don't know, God goes, well, you don't know Job then. He goes, oh, well, you'll, you know, you'll protect him from me. He goes, no, you can do anything you want to him. You just can't kill him. Go. And I'll show you that Job still will honor me. Right? Satan can't do damage to a, to a saint because that's who Christians are. We're saints. But the Satan can only do damage what God is allowing. So ultimately, everything that happens to us is filtered through the hands of a loving God. Oh man, that's a mind blower. That's a shake in my head moment right there. We just read in Hebrews 12 that suffering is like unto a father who is chastising his son. The father spoken of here is God himself. These moments that are disruptive in our lives, these things that catch us off guard are from God. Oh no, people say, oh no, no way. Psalm 94, verse 12. Blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord, the man you teach from your law. We must understand this. And if we don't have this clear, we feel like we've been violated. I want to continue explaining this with an example. Maybe you've witnessed plants or a garden or crops after a heavy storm, right? Some flowers droop and their petals, you know, are all closed. And at first glance, it appears the glory of the plant is gone, right? Yet the night passes and the new day begins and the sun shines, bringing strength to the flower. The light looks at the flower and the flower looks at the light. And there was a contact and it's like communion with the light and power passed into the flower. The flower lifts its head and opens its petals and regained its glory and seem more radiant than before. Now, when that manifests, I can't explain it. I don't think many of us can. You gotta be like a, you're really researching this in that field of science to, to explain it. I mean, these feeble flowers coming into contact with something much stronger and they gain strength. Well, in the same way, I can't explain how we're able to receive the power to serve and to endure through communion with God, but I know it's a fact. So do you. So do many of you. you get, we get our power when we're going through pain from the Lord. Here, here comes some scriptural truth. Progress without pain seems almost impossible. Can I get a witness? <laughs> oh man, right? One of the challenges for us in this you know, Western culture is we are so caught up in our own agenda, our own plan, and our own purposes, right? Do those things that we want to do. And listen, no argument here. Some of those things are good things. So please, don't put all of this in one basket. Just don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But scripture, I believe, is crystal clear on this, that many 
many times until there is some kind of dynamic intervention in our life that is strong enough and painful enough to get our attention, we really don't stop and notice what God is trying to say to us. We constantly put things off and say, I will get to it tomorrow. Today is so busy already for me, and so I'll put that off until tomorrow. And a great tragedy for many a Christian is we are all caught up in the fluff and the ornaments of life, the window dressing of life, if you will, the exterior visible aspects of life, if you will. But the soul, the mind, will, and emotion, the soul, which is underneath the exterior, is so hard for us to get at because we allow all the exterior things in life to dominate our decisions at a time when we should building up and be focusing on the interior. And then what happens? Oh, boy. All of a sudden, a disruptive moment comes into our lives and all of those exterior things don't mean diddly squat. And my experience shows me God sometimes just zaps us so we get the proper perspective. Not all the time. Sometimes it's really subtle. Today's, you know, Western culture, America, Europe, right? That culture emphasizes clothing, fashion, makeup, plastic surgery, tummy tucks, nose jobs, steroids, drugs, sex. And all of those things are all just cosmetic exterior things or drugs to keep us in a mental funk. It keeps us in a haze. Character and substance are shaped in the crucible of adversity. And if you have never faced any problems or difficulty, then I can assure you when you look in the mirror, you will see a hurting, shallow, and insecure person. You know, the storms of life always leave us with a list of things to clean up and fix. God restores to us the things we have lost through our rebellion, through our negligence, through our ignorance, and through our sin. In other words, the storms of life will be the things that produce the fruit of God in our lives. You only gain in the storm because it's always, always then when we are pruned. And it is only then when something new and fresh again begins growing. They, these storms alert us to the defective parts of our lives, the missing parts in our lives, where we're focusing wrong, right? The rotten things in our lives. And it helps, turns us to, back to the only one who can make the necessary repairs on our lives. Well, bringing this to a close, and I hope this has shaken us to realize what is really important, that we grasp the provision of God's grace in all of this. God does not put us through anything that he isn't walking with us together. I know that many of us know about God's incredible grace, and you're you know, probably reflecting right now and remembering your dynamic growth during many of these events that have happened in your life. More power, more holiness, more righteousness, more fruit have been the result. You know, if you're listening to this and you're wondering, are you in danger of being crushed by a heavy and difficult trial? I want to encourage you to seek communion with Jesus Christ and you will receive strength and the power to be victorious for God has promised I will strengthen you. What you receive from what we talked about today is going to be based on how you respond to this. We all go through trials. But how we respond is, well, that's, that's the test. We can despise the trials. We can be discouraged by the trials and give up. Or 
and this is what I'm hoping we do, we can embrace the learning opportunity and be the best obedient student God has ever had. Hallelujah. I pray this finds you encouraged. God bless you.